Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Here you go. Here you go. Veteran. That's the nothing personal word of the day. Good morning. It is August 21st, 2023, Monday. Welcome to Nothing Personal. I'm David Sampson. Matthew Koch and I are here and we're starting with baseball. What a weekend. It was really a lot of feasting and a lot of famine. You think we'd start with the Yankees? Nah. How about what happened with Pete Alonso and the Mets? That I think I'm going to get to. How about our Orioles? Maybe. I got to start with the Astros, the dynasty Astros, the Houston Astros getting swept by the upstart Seattle Mariners. They're not upstart. Made the playoffs last year, trying to do it again. Started slowly, have great pitching, hitting's coming together. Mariners go ahead and sweep them. Astros look around and say, uh-oh, we got to do something. So Martin Maldonado is their veteran catcher who can't hit, but the pitchers love pitching to him. We hung on to catchers like Jeff Mathis, great example. There are certain catchers who cannot hit, but they're so good in the clubhouse. They are beloved by pitchers that you can't get rid of them even if you want to. And when you do, you have to talk to the pitchers because they're despondent. If I were on top of my game on a Monday morning, I would have the name of Kershaw's personal catcher who the Dodgers ended up trading and it was a thing. You don't ever want to do it. So Maldonado, after the Astros get swept, decides it's time for a team meeting. And this is yet another example, not Austin Barnes before Austin Barnes. Austin Barnes is the guy, Coco, who we traded to the Dodgers in the D. Gordon deal. Hey, throw in Austin Barnes, no problem. David, don't throw in Austin Barnes. He's going to be a big, A.J. Ellis, that's the guy. Well done, Coco. Well done. So team meetings. It's a subject I like talking about because team meetings are a lot like donuts. They're really good to have, but if you have too many, you're guaranteed to get sick and fat. No one likes the light on better than I, well, at least pre-COVID. And when the light's on, the car's gonna go through the drive-through. Donuts are there in the clubhouse on a Sunday morning. Donuts are there for early morning meetings with your staff. Donuts are a thing. But you sort of look around and say, two donuts, three? People are eating too many. That's the exact situation with team meetings. You have to be strategic. You have to be careful. You have to be smart. You do it when you're facing a bad team and your best pitcher's pitching the next day. Aaron Boone, you got it right. You did it after the Yankees were about to be swept by the Red Sox and Garrett Cole was pitching. Let's have a team meeting. All right, it didn't work. Yankees got swept. But all you can do is put yourself in a position to sit with your team, 
Once you decide that the team needs a meeting, then you decide who are the participants. Sometimes you do it just manager, players, coaches, no front office. Sometimes the front office comes in and does the meeting with the manager, coaches, and players. Sometimes the front office does it with just the players. Sometimes the players do it just with themselves. The way you decide what kind of team meeting you are going to have is the tenor of the meeting. When a front office comes down and holds a meeting, the GM or the team president, or sometimes the owner, the owner's gonna come down and do it as motivation. Guys, we're going through a tough period. Love you guys, we've got this. The owner doesn't come down and turn over the spread, throw chairs against the wall. You save that for the manager. GMs come down. When you want a GM to lead a meeting, you want a practical meeting about things that are going wrong in terms of execution on the field, preparation off the field. Work harder, work smarter. Now's the time. Managers meet with just the players without the front office and we give the manager permission to almost do a major league. Hey, let's do it in spite of the front office. Guys, it's just us against the world. Let's get rid of the noise. Let's ignore what they're doing upstairs. Ignore the fact that you all may be traded. You may not be here next year. Ignore the papers, ignore the fans. Let's just hunker down. That's a manager only player meeting. A players only meeting, that's different. What players do in a players only meeting, and sometimes when we ask for that, it's specific because we believe that the best way to be effective when it comes to urgency is players and players. Just like when there's things to police in the clubhouse, like team rules, you don't have the GM or the president go down and say you're violating curfew or you're violating the no beard policy. It's better to not even have the manager do that, but that's what you start with. But if you really want change in a clubhouse, it's player to player. They're your best police people. They're your best mouthpiece. So when players hold a meeting, that tells the front office and the front office after they've told the player, that's last resort time. Players only meetings are born of desperation. Players don't like having players only meetings because A, they wanna get out of the clubhouse and they wanna go home. B, they don't wanna show each other whether they care or whether they don't. C, they don't necessarily want to admit that there's even a problem. But sometimes we want players to meet with players, but we will give some talking points to the player who we want to have the meeting. Martin Maldonado is the perfect candidate to hold a players only meeting. And the message in that meeting when you are the Houston Astros is way different if you are the Seattle Mariners or if the New York Yankees. The New York Yankees haven't done anything. They haven't won a thing. Made the playoffs all the time, but they have not won a thing. When you do a players only meeting, you're talking about being embarrassed. You're talking about having a payroll with the size of our payroll. You're talking about what we owe to our fans and to ourselves. We need to be better. That would be a message player to player. We need better effort. We need better hustle. When you are a dynasty and you've, you're coming off a World Series championship and you're trying to defend it, you're the reigning champion, 
the tenor of the player-on-player meeting is, listen, gentlemen, everyone's after us. All they want to do is beat us. We are still the victims of what happened in 2017, six years ago, and we're the victims of all of our success because everyone, including the garbage can issue, everyone wants to do what we did and be who we are. If we let our guards down for one second, we're not an upstart team. A player-on-player meeting with an upstart team is, hey, guys, let's not believe the hype. That's the Oriole players-only meeting. Let's not believe any of the hype. Let's not look at the franchise rankings. Don't look at the farm system rankings. Don't look at the standings. Keep doing what we're doing. That's not the meeting you have with the Astros. That meeting is, gentlemen, do you want to give these other teams what they want and that is our failure? Do you expect come October that we're just gonna snap our fingers and go back to the LCS? And here's the answer. Well, Martin, yeah, because we go every year. So the danger of a team meeting, whether it's GM, president, manager, or player, the danger is when the voice is old, when the voice is stale, or when the subject matter is a push. And I don't mean a push like betting. A push to me is when you're talking about a subject and people look at you and say, eh, I don't quite believe you. I don't think we needed this meeting. How many meetings have you gone to in your office? Or how many meetings have you tried to have with your kids? Just meetings in general where you're looking and you're saying, wow, this meeting is not necessary at all. We absolutely know what's going on here. You know that I know, I know that you know, we both know that everyone knows. So what are we doing? We're wasting each other's time. Is there anyone on the Astros who isn't aware of what Maldonado spoke about? Saying the key will be better energy in the dugout, not being satisfied after we lose? That this is disappointing? Yeah, we got swept. Big whoop. If you wanna do a player-player meeting and Maldonado, as I said, is your guy, here's what I say. Gentlemen, it's gonna be the fastest player meeting you've ever seen. Thank you. That's it. No subject, no questions, no nothing. Because everyone in that clubhouse knows exactly what happened to the Mariners. They know they got swept. They know that they're still only two and a half back of the Rangers because the Brewers swept the Rangers. You don't need to tell them anything. They're all scoreboard watching. Side note, I love Jake Hamburger of the Marlins acknowledging that he scoreboard watches because they all do. What a veteran move by Maldonado. He almost got it. Almost. Would have been a shorter meeting. Oh, we got to do this, Coca. So davidsampsonpodcast.com. Go on that website. Check out the new merch. We have some new Diamond Logo merch, including on set. We have the new trucker hat right there for you. And ask questions. This was a good one. Go ahead, Coca. You know what I want? (laughs) I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson from the movie Half-Baked. Dear David, good evening. Gunnar Henderson was a single away from the cycle, 
but continued running for the double. What instructions, if any, did you give players for situations such as this? Would management want him to get the cycle or does it look better that he went for the double? I enjoy your show and hope you have a good week. Thank you, I appreciate your question. You have struck a nerve, which is why this question made the show. So here's the background, Gunnar Henderson, Orioles, first place, AL East. He's got a double, a triple, and a home run. The Orioles have the game in hand. He hits a ball down the right field line. It is a clear double. He passes first base, gets to second. His teammates look at him from the dugout and say, what are you doing? You could have just had the cycle. Stop at first base. Gunnar Henderson said, you know what? I'm gonna play the game hard. The double opportunity was there. So I feel like that's just the way I play. I love that, except not as management. Do you know the Miami Marlins, Florida Marlins in their history? No hitters, World Series, perfect games thrown against them. All sorts of amazing stuff. No cycles. When we were designing and building Marlins Park, we wanted to do an entire suite based on all the different accomplishments of the franchise. So there's a no hitter suite, there's a a uh, rookie of the year suite, World Series, etc. No cycles. We spoke to the players about cycles throughout the season because we wanted the franchise to have it because for whatever reason, cycles are looked at as really cool. Someone hit for the cycle. It's noteworthy. It gets to the top half of Sports Center. Do you think teams don't focus on where they are in Sports Center? They do. Or where they are on MLB Network or CBS Sports HQ? Of course they do. When a player hits for the cycle, it gets attention. But what we would say to the players is that if we need to score a run and you have an opportunity to get in scoring position, forget the cycle get in scoring position. And we put our money where our mouths are because way back in 2002, 21 years ago, the longest hitting streak in franchise history that was bringing attention to the lowly Florida Marlins in my first year there, one of the great all-time Marlins, Luis Castillo. He was on deck and hitless, man on third, under two outs, Tim Raines asks, do I get the run in? Answer, yes. We had talked about it before the game. We had talked about it after he got to 25 games. If you have a chance to win a game and Luis needs another at bat, win the game. If you don't have a chance to win the game, if we're up six runs, if we're up four runs, let Castillo have another at bat. Tim Raines had a chance to win the game, sacrifice fly, game over. Castillo's on the on-deck circle, hitting streak ends. All of the attention, it led SportsCenter every day. Gone. Here's a little secret for you. I was upset. I'd like to tell you that winning meant everything to me, and I love winning. Never wanted to lose, never tried to lose, even with small payrolls, always thought we could win. 
But attention for the franchise is what I craved. Attention for the brand. Anything to get the narrative around my team about what's going on on the field, not off. Anything to draw attention to players and accomplishments on the field, and I wanted it to go on. People were coming to games, they were buying tickets. If Luis Castillo had gotten to 36, maybe he gets to 46, maybe he gets to 50. Maybe we're witnessing history, not just of our franchise, but of the entire game. And when you have a chance for history, do you give that up for a win in a season that it's unlikely you're gonna make the playoffs? We had to say we wanted the win to the players. We had to tell Reigns to go for the win. But secretly, did I want Luis to get another at-bat? Of course I did. So as management, when Gunnar Henderson has a chance for a cycle, I want him to get the cycle. However, the Orioles have such a good story now. They are in the top half of all the highlight shows because they are leading the AL East. They are a young team with a likely rookie of the year. Gunnar Henderson is an unbelievable player, exciting to watch. So we're getting the attention either way. That said, I would have stopped at first. It's a good question. George Mateo, one of his teammates actually said, if it was me, if it were me, I would have fallen at first base and just stayed there, you know? I like that. I don't view it the same as, who's the NBA player, uh, Matt, where he threw a ball off the backboard because he needed a rebound and then got the rebound and put the shot in to get a triple-double? And I said to you, what's the big deal? Because history will record it as a triple-double and he will have had 10 triple-doubles during the season instead of nine or 15 instead of 14. It was Giannis. And I thought that it was incredibly cheap. But on the other hand, I told you, history gets rid of the background and just gives you the accomplishment. So when you go back and look at cycles and players who have hit for the cycle, there was a recent cycle this year. Who was the last one? Was it uh, was it Ellie De La Cruz? I think it could have been him. Do you have any recollection? And that was this year, how he got the cycle, what the circumstances were, or do you just know he got the cycle? I wonder whether the Astros were staring at the Mariners and thinking, wow, we're trying to catch the Rangers, but the Mariners by sweeping us are actually catching us. And then they looked at Julio Rodriguez and said, I can't believe what we're watching. In case you missed it over the weekend, Julio Rodriguez, in a streak that ended Saturday, had 17 hits in four games. That's four straight four-hit games. That's worthy of a presentation on the field. He's the first player to do that since 1925. You'll never see it again. It took 98 years and it may take another 98 for it to happen. Four straight four-hit games with a five-hit game mixed in, which is how you get to 17. That was pretty impressive. Okay, what else happened over the weekend that got my attention? Ah, let's talk Pete Alonzo. Who watched it? Who knows what I'm talking about? Pete Alonzo, New York Mets first baseman. There's a new player called up by the St. Louis Cardinals. Supposed to be good. His name is Mason Wynn. Everyone's all excited about him. Gets called up first game. Do you know that pre-game, there's a hitters meeting. 
there's a pitcher's meeting and there are notes on the board. When there is a player, a any player, whether it's a highly touted prospect or someone who is called up for your team or the opposing team, both teams are aware when there is a milestone possible in that game. Umpires are aware if there's a milestone in that game. Don't believe when an umpire tells you, oh, I had no idea. He had a hit streak. That's why I called strike three. I didn't realize he had a hit streak. I would have called it a ball. Let him stay in the at-bat. It's a bunch of horse hockey. Pete Alonso absolutely knew that Mason Wynn had been called up and did not have a major league hit. The unwritten rule in baseball is very simple and it's always followed. When there's a milestone, the ball is given to the player who got the milestone, unless the ball ends up in the stands with a fan. And then the home team, if it's a road player who got the milestone, its job, as it was mine with Ken Griffey's 600th home run, is to go try to negotiate and get the ball back. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, sometimes you get the ball back, sometimes you don't. Everybody on the field and in the front office is aware, hey, three strikeouts and he will have 200 Ks for the season. We'll pull that ball. This will be his 50th stolen base and he will be a 50-50 player. We pull the bag. If it's Acuna who gets his 50th steal and 50th home run, we're pulling the bag. If he already has 50 home runs. I think you get my point. We all know. Pete Alonso gets the ball from his first hit and rifles it into the stands. Cardinals go crazy. I'm looking at the game saying this can't be true. There's no way Pete Alonso just did that. This is about to be a story and a story it was and it lasted all weekend long. So much so that Pete Alonso not only had to make an apology, he also had to get Mason Wynn some tequila and an autograph bat. I wasn't too keen on the autograph bat situation. Players exchange autograph bats and jerseys all the time. Players ask other players for balls. There are the clubbies go back and forth. There was only one player in my career who I came across who would not sign for another player unless that player directly asked him. And that's Barry Bonds. You know it's true, Barry. You made visiting players actually come up and ask when they wanted your jersey. Most players, the club he walks over and says, hey, John Cocktoast on the other team wants your jersey. Great, no problem. Da -da -da -da, sign, give it to the clubby. Clubby walks over to the home side or the visiting side and it's done. It happens every single day. It doesn't happen with the cameras like the Dwayne Wade jersey shuffle, jersey swap, but it happens every day. So an autograph bat as a present, bottle of tequila, it's fine. All's well that ends well. Mason got the ball back. But the question that everyone was asking is did Pete Alonso do that on purpose? You could be the biggest turd in baseball, which Pete Alonso was not. The number one 
and you don't throw Mason Wynn's first hit into the stands. It's not even a question. So for everyone out there who is saying that Pete Alonso did it on purpose, you're just flat out wrong. He called it a brain fart. And I got to tell you, that's exactly what it is. And I get it. It happens. Not often, but it happens. So for all of you people all over Pete Alonso, there's a lot of reasons to be all over the Mets, to say the least. This is not one of them. Okay. Now that we took care of that, oh, let's take a break. I finally was able to watch the new Jennifer Lawrence movie. And we're going to do a special second So You Want to Talk to Samson because so many of you are coming up with so many great questions on davidsampsonpodcast.com. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you get some merch. And uh, we'll be right back. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson, Matthew Koka. It's a Monday. We are live every day at 8 a.m., watch a movie every day, and I've not really been to a theater. I've been maybe a few times and only to one theater on Long Island. I was waiting for No Hard Feelings to be available. Finally, it's available for streaming. The new Jennifer Lawrence comedy, which I thought was going to be so good. I was so excited. It's so rare these days. And people wonder on Levitard why my favorite comedies are from the 80s and 90s, because that's when the best comedies are. It's rare to find and 2000s, rare rare to find a good comedy. I thought this was gonna be it. I check it, streaming available, buy it 1999. And you're saying, well, he's got money to burn. I view it, that's what I would spend in gas and a movie theater ticket, and I wanna see the movie. So I get to sit on my own couch, spend the 20 bucks and watch No Hard Feelings. The only thing I had read about the movie, because I don't read reviews, is that Jennifer Lawrence has a nude scene which is strange in a comedy of this day and age. Of course, back in the Porky's and Stripes era, there had to be your Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Part of the contract is there had to be a certain number of topless women that was required. Does not happen that way anymore. So I'm watching this movie and it's about a woman in her 30s who's hired by Matthew Broderick the father of a 19-year-old or 18-year-old about to go to college in order to make that boy a man and prepare him for college. Basically, Jennifer Lawrence is hired as a escort, sex not required apparently, or maybe it is, in order to make a boy a man. She's in her 20s, she says, but then admits she's actually 32. The kid's 18, and I was just wondering, if it were a guy at 32 hired to do something to an 18-year-old girl, are we feeling good about that? Or are we cringy and uncomfortable? Are we doing a little into the night situation? 
That is a reference that not many of you are going to get. But if you are a Benny Mardonis fan, there's a chance you just smiled. If you did, reach out to me and smile. Let me know you smile because I'm smiling right now. I had no idea that song was that creepy. Yet when it comes on the playlist, I'm still singing it. Separating art from artist, I guess. I actually donated money to him, Coca. He did a, uh, before he died, Benny Mardonis had to do a GoFundMe page for his medical expenses. I wonder whether I got scammed, but I sent like a hundred bucks because of the pleasure that I got from listening to that song while running marathons. And then of course I, the world changed and I listened to it again and I don't know that I can listen to it anymore. But when it's an older girl and a younger boy, it's just a movie that everyone watches. Older boy, younger girl, oh, he can't do that, you're canceled. The reason why no hard feelings ought to be canceled, it's downright bad. I didn't laugh out loud one time and Jennifer Lawrence is so talented. An Oscar winner, brilliant. I love her movies. And yes, there is a weird nude scene. It's like a fight scene on the beach, except she's naked. It's like a Kung Fu style karate ass kicking. No body double. It's not like pretty woman. No body double. Weird. What was it for? Does that say something about the character? Did it help advance the story? No hard feelings. Don't take it personally. I'm just saying don't spend the money. Okay, we haven't done this in a while, but I want to do it today because it's too good not to. Let's play it again, Sam. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. A double, so you want to talk to Samson. If you don't know the reference, you should, but if you're new to the show, thank you. There's a movie called Half-Baked and there's a character named Samson and people want to talk to him. So if you want to talk to me, get on Twitter, David P. Samson. Do I have to call it X now, Coco? We haven't even talked about that in any of our prep meetings. Get on X, formerly known as Twitter, David P. Samson, or go to davidsampsonpodcast.com. Hi, David, love you and the show. We've never met, I appreciate you love me, though I would say that if you got to know me, it may turn into a hard like only. The Angels' recent call-up of Nolan Chenewell smells of desperation on the eve of Otani's free agency. Were you ever tempted to call up a player this quickly? And if so, what were the internal discussions like concerning the player's long-term development? Thanks for your time. Thank you. Do I have a story for you? When you are running a baseball team, there's several departments who fight all the time. Sales and marketing, they're fighting. Baseball and marketing, baseball and PR, scouting and player development. The reason why they're all fighting is they want the president and the owner to believe that what they're doing is working and what the other people are doing is not working. This is not unique to a baseball team. This is in every single company. Everyone wants the boss to believe, come bonus time, come raise time, that the work they do moves the ball forward in relation to the work other people do, which either keeps the ball in the same place or even sometimes moves it backwards. 
The top example for me has always been scouting and player development. In baseball, the scouting department is in charge of going to see 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds, draft them, and then those players get given to player development. Their job is to take the players given to them and get them ready for either the big leagues or for other teams to think they're ready for the big leagues so they can be traded. Scouts also scout major league players for major league trades. They're called major league scouts, pro scouts. They go to the GM and say, that's an acquisition target. Trade for him, trade for him, trade for him. Then when he's brought in, the scouts move on and the major league coaching staff is in charge of that player. When that player all of a sudden stinks, David Robertson for the Marlins. There's an example. The scout who suggested that the Marlins trade for him is looking at the major league staff and saying, what the hell happened? What did you do? That's what I said to our guys when Fernando Rodney stunk or various other players we got at the deadline were terrible. I can't believe how crappy Carlos Lee is. I liked him actually. So scouts blame development when the players don't pan out. Development, when the players don't pan out, call the GM in the office and say, what do you expect me to do with this piece of crap player? What did they see in him? His swing is off, he has no speed, his arm's terrible. This guy cannot throw a slider when it counts, it's flat, no spin. You saw 96, 99? I'm seeing 94, 96 with no command. Your scouts stink, David. That's scouting, that's player development. Always an argument. Then you've got the owner. The owner, because most owners are octogenarians or septuagenarians, they have the feeling that they're gonna croak any minute. They go to their GM and say, don't you buy me green bananas. I'm gonna be dead before that player makes it. No, no, give this 18 year old $6 million. He'll be ready in five years. Five years, I'll be pushing up daisies. I want a guy quick to the big leagues. Find me a college player and I want that player on our team now. Yeah, but sir, you really wanna get the best team and the best farm system, don't you? No, no, I wanna win in the big league level. Yeah, but the guy we could bring up right now his ceiling is not as good as the guy we could draft instead. And it may take an extra year or two, but you're gonna be happy when you don't have to spend a ton of money on a free agent when this guy's gonna be pitching for you. Don't care, I want him now. Many a time I've heard owners say to their GMs, find me a guy in the draft who's gonna help us now. The GM, depending on the contract, depending on the pressure, will say to the owner, I've got this. I hear you, I'm gonna draft all college pitchers and I'm gonna make you happy because I'm sick and tired of you. Or relax, trust me, we got great scouts, we got great development people, we're bringing in quality players into the system. And then you've got the Anaheim Angels. The desperation within the Angels 
is so acute. The fact that they bought at the deadline, I went through, go back to the show where I told you they weren't trading Otani. Go back to the show where I told you buying is makes sense for them. Though the best move would have been to trade Otani, get prospects, and then re-sign him. Find out whether he wants to be with you. Tell him you'll give him what he was going to get. Forget the ESPN valuation. Tell him you'll give him what he's what he, more than anybody else. But I want to make this team better around you. Let us get prospects for you, please. No, no. Artie Moreno said, we got a chance. We're going to roll the dice, as GM said. Rolling the dice in baseball? That's an asinine move. It comes up snake eyes almost every time. The Angels are no exception. The Angels have a Blutarski GPA chance of making the playoffs this year. 0.0. NGTH. And it's not because they were so bad after the deadline, even though that clinched it. To me, they had no chance even at the deadline. All that said, the owner doesn't want to believe that ever. Owners are funny that way. Totally delusional, right to the end. We've been mathematically eliminated. Don't tell me that. We got a shot. All we have to do is win 18 of our next 17 and we can make the playoffs. All right, whatever you say, pass the JD, would you please? So the Angels draft a guy in June of this year. This Chanel. Hi, number one pick, 11th overall. College bat. And they called him up to the big leagues last week or this weekend. Everyone in baseball was shocked. Except for the executives who I spoke to. And we all agreed, absolutely not shocked. This is what Artie does. He wants players who will help him now. He is desperate because he has not won a thing, has not been in the playoffs. They have the longest such streak in baseball. Haven't been there since 14. Trout's never won a playoff game. Otani's never been in a damn playoff game. They're not mathematically eliminated. And they've got more holes than a block of Swiss cheese. God, I wanted a better metaphor than that. They stink like old Roquefort. No more cheese, I promise. So calling up a player who was drafted in June, how often would you say that that happens? He was in the minor leagues. He was drafted and 40 days later in the big leagues. That's it. How about it hasn't happened since 1978? How about that? 1978. Why is that? Because when you call up a player too early, especially a pitcher, although Shinoil is not, you have a chance of ruining their career. I would like to, were I not Jewish, go to confession and tell you all the careers that I ruined from calling up pitchers too early, saying it's time, let's go, bring up Logan Kenzie and it'll work out fine. Bring up Graham Taylor, don't worry, it'll be fine. And it wasn't fine. When you bring up pitchers and don't put them in position to succeed, 
We did it to Brad Hand, still in the big leagues, but never became. He's made money. I'm very happy for him. He's a great guy. But man, Brad, I'm sorry. We called you up too soon. Then we sent you down too soon. You were pitching with your sphincter this tight because you knew if you gave up any runs, we were going to send you out. It's so easy to look back and to acknowledge mistakes you've made. But I'm telling you, when you're in it, it feels like you're not. Do you think any GM or manager or player or president is purposefully making bad decisions or purposely not playing well or making bad trades? Yeah, do you think we sit there and say, oh, this is a better trade. Let's make the crappy one and get the prospect who's not going to work out. Let's do that. Let's let this player go. Let's trade Luis Castillo because he's going to be an ace, so we don't want him around. Yeah, that's exactly what we do. Let's trade for Matt Latos because we think he's going to not be a total turd. Come on. You've got to give people, and this is not me being pro-management or pro-player. This is me telling you what it's really like. You're sitting in meetings and you're doing what you think is right with the constraints you have that are financial, that are mathematical. You take all the information given to you and you make the best decision that you can and you hope the owner lets you make the decisions. Sometimes the owner does, sometimes the owner doesn't. Once you give the information to your boss, that's it. The boss makes the decision and the owner is the boss. For all the owners out there who think that all of your people are making decisions and you're not a part of it, you're just lying to yourself, but we don't believe you. We know for sure how it works. Oh, I let my baseball people do it all. Of course, there's certain decisions that baseball people make without you. Oh, I want to see that guy in the 20th round. Yeah, I'd like to know all the minor league free agents you're signing. Come on. Give me a break. That's not what owners are doing. High profile signings, high profile draft picks. Hell yeah. You think Nolan Chenoyle gets called up? I'm going to say his name 10 different ways, Coco, before this segment's over. You think he gets called up by player development? Not on your life. 469. You think that Nolan Chenoyle was called up by the Angels because the people in player development and scouting thought that he was ready for the big leagues? No chance, toilet pants. That was Artie Moreno straight saying, I want him and I want him right now. You think it'll work? Nah. You know what else didn't work? Our picks this weekend. Rat bastages. 0 for 3. I told you the Rangers got swept by the Brewers and we picked the Rangers Friday. Clearly, that wasn't going to win. I told you that the Guardians would beat the Tigers and Rodriguez, except Rodriguez didn't pitch Saturday, so we still bet the game with the wrong pitchers. Lost that. And then what in the hell happened in the Women's World Cup? Spain beat England is what happened, so we lost that. A quick shout out to Olga Carmona. Very weird thing. We've had that when there's been an issue with a player. Something happened during a game to someone in the player's family. This was always a tough one for me. And it happened three or four times in my career where there was an issue, an emergency with the family. 
And the question is, when do you tell a player during the game? And I had a very simple rule. If the player knowing during the game would in any way impact the outcome of the current situation, then we will tell the player during the game and pull him from the game and have the player leave. When a relative dies, we can't undie the relative. We'd wait till the end of the game and then tell the player. The reason I struggled with it is that when things like that have happened to me, and it happened to me in 1984, I went to summer camp and my family did not tell me that my cousin had a terrible accident, a terrible ATV accident, which is to this day why I do not and will never ride an ATV. It was my best friend at the time, came within an inch of his life, in the hospital for weeks. I went to camp, had no idea anything was wrong, came home, they told me, and I said to myself and to my family, how could you not have told me? Well, you wouldn't have gone to camp. You're damn right I wouldn't have gone to camp. We wanted you to go to camp. But now that I look back, I'm guilty for all the pleasure that I had while my best friend cousin was struggling for his life. There's no right answer here. So a player comes off the field, you tell them their father died or something happened, they look back and say, wow, I wish I had known. Well, what would you have done? So Spain wins, but Olga's father died, which is obviously incredibly, incredibly sad. Can't believe Spain won the World Cup, Coca. Have you seen all this talk about how great women's soccer is and all the attention? I love it. Doesn't add up to exactly equality at the moment, but you never know. So the Women's World Cup passes and the one team that had all of the talk about it, the one country, Spain, there was all the talk about what happened before the World Cup even started. They had all those issues. The players had complained and they, they like went on strike. They didn't even play on the team. The majority of the good players in Spain wouldn't even play because they were so annoyed with how they were treated. And guess what? The players who did, they're like, they got Wally pipped. They won the damn World Cup. Congratulations. Felicitations. I don't know why I just spoke French, because that's all I got. Spain is your winner. Does anyone even remember what happened to the United States women's national team? Does that not seem like two years ago? All right, we'll be back tomorrow. God, this show went quickly, Coco. We didn't even get to talk about James Harden. We're going to have to get to that tomorrow. I had a whole wait to see about him. We'll get to it. Until then... It's just business. Oh, I got to give you my pick of the day before we leave. Can I quickly do that, Coca? Do we have time? Quick of the day. Quick. <laughs> All right, cut that. Ready? All right, I'll do it right now. Okay, 10, 80, 69. After an 0-3 weekend, we're going to try to get back on the schneid after an undefeated week last week, Monday through Thursday. We're going to take Luis Castillo, the aforementioned Luis Castillo, the aforementioned hot as Hades Mariners. They are playing the White Sox who are an absolute dumpster fire, having internal meetings about figuring out what went wrong. Here's what went wrong. Your players aren't good. Mariners over the White Sox. That's the pick of the day. Until tomorrow, it's just business. This is nothing personal.